In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The CIA secretly funded the medical experiments through a front in New York City called, of all things, the Society for the Protection of Human Ecology. There's a lot of misinformation, disinformation, and outright lies. We have some problems over here right now, and we might have a hijack over here too. This is a conspiracy indoctrination program, Pro. In this broadcast, we will be examining the strange, deranged, unexplained, and unsolved. Some topics will be rooted in conspiracy, others shrouded in mystery. Connections will be made, and agendas exposed. So prepare your mind, because the indoctrination begins now. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Coindoc Pro, the conspiracy indoctrination program. This is episode 18, and we're back. I do that every time. Yeah. Is this 18, or is it 19? Is it 18? Oh, 19. Yep, my bad. <laughs> I thought it was 18. But... Yeah, I was like, hmm. <laughs> I thought this thing became an adult last time. You know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, welcome back to episode 19, because uh, in my notes, I had it titled as episode 19, and then I wrote <laughs> under it, welcome to episode 18. So. <laughs> anyway, we're back, episode 19. Thank you to all the listeners that have returned, that are continuing to return back. Um we appreciate uh, all of your support. It does actually mean a lot, especially the people that kind of at least talk to me personally that listen. Um, and they tell me, hey, they like what we're doing, and, and it actually makes you feel better because we're not monetized and we spend a lot of time reading mm-hmm. and doing boring stuff to hopefully bring you a decent show. And buying random shit to... Yeah, buying random <laughs> stuff to random clothes. Hey, yeah, make shit. the show happen. We've got we're back in Studio G here. We've got blankets hanging everywhere. We don't want to turn on any black lights. <laughs> Be a scene of the crime. Yep. Um, thank you to W Violets who left a review fun new podcast I really enjoy what y'all are doing here please stick to it thank you W Violets we appreciate that yeah that's awesome Um, it's always awesome when I randomly see the new uh, review I'm like dude that that was cool man made made me feel good Um, and then the international listeners in Switzerland that probably work at CERN welcome (laughs) This is a super program. We now have uh, one listener in Switzerland. Guarantee it's got to be somebody to do something with CERN. You want to know what I'm worried about? What? Getting a boner. (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say that. (laughs) Ah. Yep. Michael Scott. Um, I've been checking my emails, just so you know, or checking the uh, Coindoc Pro email. So if you want to reach out to us and get a hold of us, info.coindocpro at yahoo.com. Reach out to us. 
um, have had a couple people reach out to me and uh, had a guy from somewhere try to spam me for eight million dollars just so you know <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I got a message or an email and it was like because I don't know I have no clue who's trying to reach out to me or who's trying to spam me but one of the emails was like did you get my first message like I'm trying to reach out to you and we've been having issues with the email so I was like oh shit maybe maybe you know Yahoo sucks I was like nah dude I didn't get anything Yahoo sucks and then he sends me back this big long (laughs) email about how he lives in another country and he needs to put my name on the uh, title for the land that he's trying to buy and and there was a bunch of stuff in there about eight million dollars and i was like oh come on man like i thought you were here for conspiracy like this is just a scam <laughs> uh, got scammed man got scammed nothing about i'll send you some cash if you send me some <laughs> gift cards yeah yeah it's for the prince of nigeria <laughs> Do I get a medium? This is totally legit. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. Everybody pull your money together. <laughs> Speaking of which, I did. I was buying a gift card. This was maybe like last month, I think, Mother's Day for the Enforcer's mom. And uh, I was buying a you know, $100 gift card, whatever it was that we were sending to her. And the lady at the check stand was like, sir, nobody asked you to buy this gift card, right? And I was like, <laughs> what? It's like... Because it was like an Amazon gift card. Like, no, why? I mean, yeah, my wife asked me to buy it. Oh, but nobody on the internet called you and said or sent you an email. I was like, no. She's like, okay, I just want to make sure because a lot of people are getting scammed. I'm like, dude, how old do I look? Like, I realized that I got, like, you know, some silver hair. But, dude, come on. That's just offensive. You're throwing me in the blue hair category. You're going to get taken for all your money, sir. Like, I'll pick up a cane while I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I need some bifocals. <laughs> so, grab some readers off yeah. the counter. And <laughs> guess I'll get these. Yeah, these ones look like they work good. <laughs> um, so, in some upcoming news, we've got some guests lined up coming up in the next couple of weeks. On the 21st, we're going to have William Ramsey from William Ramsey Investigates on. So, that's going to be really cool. Looking forward to that one. Um, that's going to be interesting to see what he has to say. We're going to talk about, uh, well, just we're going to talk about cult numbers, and then we'll we'll surprise you on what else, what else we're going to talk to him about. That way, the uh, I don't put it out there, and then the internet or not the internet, the podcast world picks up on what we're going to talk about, and then everybody starts doing it. Mm. We want to be the first ones. Yeah, I just saw another one about CERN the other day. Yep, they're on it, dude. CERN's firing again. Yeah. Uh, Particle collisions happened, started happening at 4 a.m. Geneva, Switzerland time on Tuesday. They were colliding at 6.8 uh, tera electron volts, so times two. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody asked me, do they? Do I think that the portal to the abyss or the gate, the doorway to the abyss is going to get opened? And I was like, nah, not until they get to peta electron volts. But I think that. Um, within this this year 2023 i think it's going to happen we'll know because it'll break the machine the machine will be broken mm-hmm. and there will be this gigantic hole in the earth because mm-hmm. it'll be a big explosion so goddamn squirrels yep <laughs> no, that was a weasel weasel yeah the weasel it's the that's, that's weasel. what they call them over there 
Yeah. Squirrel. Yep. Marmot. Nice marmot. Yeah, marmot. No, I think it's I think it's down there. I don't need another look. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously you're not a golfer. Um so in uh news this week, it was uh, Independence Day, so naturally there had to be a mass shooting on Independence Day in Highland Park, Illinois. I think that's yeah in the in in the Chicago suburbs in between Chicago and Madison, Wisconsin. So, uh, man, tons of red flags with that thing. Are you guys paying attention to that? Yeah, I've just seen some stuff. Tons of red flags with that. I I I wasn't really paying attention too much because I was busy painting a door. Yeah, my garage door. I Paint them doors, bro. Yeah. Paint them doors, bro. You better hit them brats coming. Um, yeah, I had to paint my garage door, so I was not really paying attention on Independence Day to what was happening, but got kind of clued in on the, the shooting, and then a couple hours later they ended up catching the little turd. Um, saw a picture of him, and immediately, the first thing I thought of was Trump supporter. Yeah. Immediately. I mean, just looking at the dude, I was like, yep, yeah, Trump supporter. Yep. Face tattoos and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, bullshit. This dude looks like a little Antifa douche. Mm-hmm. So um, that was kind of a red flag. And then all the initial pictures of him, you know, at the Trump rallies and, you know, posted up with just weird, like, tactical gear in front of an American flag in, like, this really generic-looking potentially classroom. I was like, this is so over the top it's not even funny mm-hmm. and then i'm like of course you know like people that are trump supporters that love america that'd be the first time you know that's when they're going to shoot up america is on independence day mm-hmm. at a parade at yeah. a parade like give me a break Thanks dude yeah. yeah so do not pay attention to this this is just another not what I'm saying, but what they're doing. It's just more mass media, mind control, MK Ultra BS. This is mm-hmm. not what it seems, and I guarantee this dude is going to hang himself in jail or he's going to get killed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, wasn't that what um, – didn't you say that, that he's claiming that he was MK Ultra or something? Yeah, like so that? one of my buddies was telling me that right after his name came out on the 4th of July – they were they just did a quick google search with his name and you know his social media profiles and stuff came up and uh apparently there was tons of pictures of him there was a bunch of a bunch of stuff on the internet about him and then like later that night like five six hours later obviously the fed scrubbed it because when you go to do another search it's like gone there's like nothing other than just the mainstream media coverage you can't really find anything else his twitter account i'm not sure if it's been locked but i know that the Twitter account was originally showing things that he was following and liking and everything that he was following and liking, which is your, you know, invisible fingerprint on Twitter that you don't think about, uh, was showing that he was a complete leftist mm-hmm. and that the uh, right stuff was just a facade. So, um, but yeah, to answer your point, somebody did tell me that in some of his social media posts, he was claiming that he was an MK Ultra baby. So, I don't know, man. Um, doesn't make sense. 
nobody that I know that loves America is uh, going to go shoot up America on a Fourth of July parade. Mm. Yeah. So, you're all liars. <laughs> <laughs> just calling you out. Yep, just calling you out. But it's just like the Uvalde thing, man. Like the first thing that they started doing this week is just, oh, the red flag laws, all all of the the gun pre- prevention acts that they just passed did, didn't do anything. It wouldn't have done anything, and blah blah blah. And you know, he he was able to slip through the red flags. And I'm like, dude, of course, red flag laws don't work because there's nothing scanning your brain that they can show what you're thinking when you buy a gun. Like I see a gun, I'm like, oh, that'd be fun to shoot on this steel or I can do this with it, I can do that with it, you know? And then you can't, you know, some random dude comes in and is thinking, oh, I'm gonna kill somebody with this gun. Like nobody can stop that. Mm. Nope. There's no way to stop that. You can go buy a, a, a gun or whatever free and clear brain and you could be somebody that yeah. suddenly gets fucking Just, medications given to you and yeah. then, okay well now I'm gonna go fucking nuts yep okay. exactly you know but they keep talking about the red flag laws, and so it's just the Hegelian dialectic, the problem, reaction, solution. They're creating the problem. People will react, and they'll demand a solution. They'll provide the solution, which will be exactly what they want, and that is to completely disarm everybody because that's the answer to everything. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so whatever. Guess we'll get off of that topic. It's making my <laughs> heart rate start to increase. His heart's going to Twitter. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter, and chess. Um, in other cool news, the uh, Georgia guy stones got blown up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then didn't they demolish him because it was unstable after? Yeah, I think they took it the rest of the way down. But I saw on Reddit there was a a video of it, like a surveillance video of it getting blown up and. Everybody's like, well, where's the video of the person walking up to it? Blah, 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 blah. And you'd have to drill holes in that in order to get that kind of explosion. And I'm like, okay, let's think about this rationally. What are the Georgia Guidestones? It's like some symbol, symbolism, statue for... Uh, Somebody's ideal, ideal, I, yeah, of, ideal the of the world and, being... Yeah way less population depopulate the planet and all that stuff all of this stuff is going on right now with the who and the world economic forum and the great reset and you know people wanting to push for that and um people wanting to you know push eugenics and make the population smaller well the georgia guidestones are in georgia which is where the third ranger regiment is so i'm just guessing that some ranger got pissed off and was like, fuck this, <laughs> and took some, some demo stuff and went down there and wrecked that thing to make a statement. Because that's what no it looked video. like. It looked like a giant freaking explosive breach. It, boom, and then it went down. Hmm. There's no video because he's like fucking Jesse Ventura and fucking Predator. Fucking yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Taking it down. I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> So, yeah, that's my theory on the Georgia Guidestones. Well, at least somebody did it. Yeah. Hey, this is for the person that uh, took them down. (laughs) Bravo. Bravo. I'm jumping in on that. (laughs) 
Now I'm going to definitely get visited by the, the feds here. Like, <laughs> he was inciting violence. Yep. You leftist. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's chicken shit that people put stuff up like that. You know, it's like, oh, I'll reduce the world population to 500,000 people. It's never going to happen, dude. Yeah. So Unless you zap everybody's balls. like You should have done that a long time ago yeah. when you put them up. Because <laughs> yeah. even when you put them up, it was like, yeah, yeah you're too late. It's <laughs> yeah. a lot of people, dude. Yeah. you got to wipe out a lot of people in order to meet that quota. It was like 80 or 90% of the population. It was something stupid. I remember yeah. reading the thing, and, I was just, and nobody even knows who put that thing up. Mm-hmm. Some random. Yeah, what was it? Um R.C. Christian or something like that was the name. Yeah, the dedicator the, or something. Yeah. He ain't nothing but a bitch. That's right. Anyway, <laughs> whatever. So, you guys got anything from this week? No, I'm just Elon so. Musk is here in Idaho. Oh, yeah, Elon, what's up? Twitter. What's he doing here? Oh, some kind of conference thing. Hmm. I don't know, just like, eh, okay, cool. Yeah. Are you going to buy Idaho, bitch? Probably. <laughs> Maybe he's going to rename it. Tesla plant here and yeah. bring in even more people. That'd be fucking really cool. He's going to rename this place to Eli Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> Muskaho. Muskaho. <laughs> <laughs> With, like, a uh, alphanumeric thing afterward yeah beep bop boop boop bop bop beep yeah <laughs> that's all it is yeah robot talk all right well this week we are going to uh talk about operation chaos which was the um the code name for the agency project that kind of like paralleled cointelpro the cointelpro was like the stuff the bureau was doing into the leftists and stuff. So Luke's going to cover most of that. And then I'm just going to kind of interject my theory on kind of how some of this fits in with the serial killer stuff like Manson and uh, Zodiac. So this um, Operation Chaos, this was also going on at uh, kind of towards the later part of MKUltra. So... Not that there was like a whole bunch of crossover between those two, but just interesting that this project was also going on, you know, alongside of it. Um, But this was started um, in 1967, and it was, uh, let's see here. It was a response to presidential request to determine the extent for or extent of foreign influence on domestic dissidents. Uh, The CIA, upon the instruction of the director of the CIA, um, established within the counterintelligence staff a special operations group, and that was in August of 67, to collect, coordinate, evaluate, and report on foreign contacts with American dissidents. So the purpose of this was to collect the information on those dissident Americans from its overseas stations and from the FBI. So they were working kind of hand-in-hand with the FBI 
getting information from from those guys on these people in the U.S. And weren't they like writing reports that they they indexed like a bunch of the information, and then they were like doing a good job of like writing intelligence reports, and the bureau wasn't doing a very good job, and that wasn't the agency pissed that they were having to give that information over to the bureau. Yeah, it was like. They would get the information from the FBI that was like halfway done. They would look at it and work on it and then have to give it back to the FBI. Yeah, like, yeah, we finished your homework for you. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. And so this ran for um, six years and they compiled um, 13,000 different files, including files on over 7,000 American citizens. Um, the documents in these files uh, and the related materials include names of more than 300,000 persons and organizations, which were entered into a computerized index. So the uh, guy that was... I bet it was IBM. Yeah. Oh, guaranteed. Yeah. The, the guy that was kind of the head kind of startup of the, the um, chaos built a computer system to start cataloging all this stuff. Um, and then the information was kept closely guarded within the CIA to prevent its use by anyone other than the personnel of the special operations group. So like what we talked about before is this program was like even more highly compartmentalized than a lot of the other um, like MK Ultra stuff. Yeah. Um, they uh, recruited uh, people from domestic dissident groups or uh, others were recruited and they in instructed those people to associate with those groups to gather some of that intelligence. Um, they were directed to not collect information on the American citizens, but... How do you, how do yeah. you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? Exactly. Yeah. Like, like, how do you not? Mm -hmm. It's like a byproduct, no matter what you do. Yeah. I'm sure the, during the debriefs, when the agents were talking about that, they're, la, 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 la. <laughs> they yeah. totally weren't with their, oh, shit, let's write this shit down, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see here. <clears throat> the, uh, let's where was I at? Okay. Um, the CIA um, was bound from the uh, outset to raise problems as to whether the agency was looking into internal security matters and therefore uh, exceeding its legislative authority. So in that aspect of doing the, um, the kind of investigation on the American dissidents, they were outside of their jurisdiction by investigating the Which, people. Yeah, because they're not even supposed to be operating on U.S. soil. Yep, and it, that was supposed to be part of the FBI side of it, yeah. but the CIA was still running those same kind of things, but telling them, well, we, don't, we can't have any of that stuff. Yeah. But... But you can. Yeah. But you can, and then we can give it to the FBI. Yeah. And like, 
<laughs> what the hell? Well, and it's, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense to me because it's like if you're not supposed to be operating on U.S. soil, that means like all of your, you know, agents or whatever they call them, the case agents or mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the, the case station. agents and then the, the assets that were. Yeah, like those guys would have to be overseas doing what they're doing mm-hmm. with overseas dissidents. Yeah. But they were here mm-hmm. dealing with overseas dissidents here. Yeah. Like, and I can see like the need for, you know, the, the foreign assets are already here. Mm-hmm. And so we got to kind of like fight them on our soil, but it's like the way that you're looping that around, you're, you're here dealing with them and then collecting information on other Americans here. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's a domestic spying program. Yep. And what's that like the Patriot Act? Yeah. That's kind of weird. Yeah. And what it kind of sounded like in this was the assets that they had that were going, like infiltrating these groups, they were trying to get information on stuff from overseas that they could then direct assets to overseas to investigate it. But it's like in this um, paper, they had four reports throughout the first um I think three years where they did a review of it and found that there was no foreign, um, <laughs> foreign influence on the, uh, like the dissidents in here. Of and, course. Yeah. That's a, like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. All right. Cool. But we'll keep trying. Yeah. You just <laughs> never know, man. Something might crop up, yeah. dude. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's pretty crazy. But w- when I first started reading into this, I was like, <clears throat> they already have something, you know, where they, because they were trying to work with, um, like, Europe, because they had, like, their big anti-war thing going on in 68 over there. So they were trying to work with the intelligence over there and trying to trade info and all that. Mm-hmm. It's like, why are they doing that? Because... During World War II, they started that, uh, the Five Eyes deal. You guys familiar with that, where it's like an intelligence sharing thing. The top five intelligence agencies together. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. so it's um, the U.S., Canada, U.K., New Zealand, and Australia, where they all will, like, spy on people in the other person's country. For And then give that information. Pentagram. Five oh, eyes. Oh wow! Shit. Yeah. Whoa. Hmm. But I was like, why? Why do they have this separate program when they already have this? Mm-hmm. Like, well, because they didn't want people to know that they were doing it. Yeah. Like, gotta keep it quiet, dude. Yeah. So, um, there was a few uh, memos that were. Uh, released uh, kind of regarding the the findings on on some of these reports the uh, this memo that I'm going to read here it was from uh, Thomas oh my god I don't even know how to say this guy's name Karamissi and they say yes (laughs) (laughs) get your friend on the phone (laughs) yeah exactly Um, the he was the deputy director for plans, um, and he issued a directive to the chief of the counterintelligence staff 
uh, instructing him to establish an operation for overseas coverage. This is kind of where that um, the overseas stuff was coming in. Um, and they, and this was for uh, looking at subversive student activities and related matters. This uh, memorandum relayed instructions from another name that popped up during um, MK Ultra, obviously for being in the CIA, was Richard Helms, um, who, according to Helms' testimony, acted in response to continuing substantial pressure uh, from the president to determine the extent of any foreign connections with domestic dissidents uh, events. Helms' testimony corroborated by a contemporaneous FBI memo which states the White House re recently informed Richard Helms, director of CIA, that the agency should exert every possible effort to collect information concerning U.S. Uh, radical agitators or racial, sorry, yeah, racial agitators who might travel abroad because of the pressure placed upon Helms. A new desk has been created at the agency for the explicit purpose of collecting information coming into the agency and having any significant bearing on possible racial disturbances in the U.S. They just create jobs just like the X-Files. <laughs> yeah. Hey, got an X-Files desk now, bitch. Yep. And that happened a few times throughout this uh, program as it got bigger. They kept adding more people into it, uh, I think, by the end of the six-year span, they had like 52 agents. And then I think there was like three or four like director positions that couldn't talk to each other and couldn't talk to other parts of the CIA. And it's like, I hear what? lots of typewriters. Yeah. yeah. And like cigarette <laughs> smoke, <laughs> phones ringing and ah, yeah. ah, what's going on here? Yeah. It is pretty wild. Um, didn't they have like something like 300 or more assets overseas? And then also um, they were like not actual full-time agents, but they were like field agents where they like um, kind of like their little undercover agents that were helping with the, the program. I thought that I had read that somewhere. It was like a couple hundred. Yeah, of there was uh, country club agents. agents on here. They had... They'd started out um, not really interviewing, but they had, um, I think it was a, a couple hundred people that they brought in, but through like their assessment process, they, according to this, they ended up with like three people stateside. Mm, definitely. Like, yeah. Got rid of all <laughs> other 297. Yeah. yeah. They're all gone. Yeah. Employment bitches. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty like crazy. Jury duty. Here's your five dollars. <laughs> yeah, I had that shit this week, by the way. Did you get picked? Jury duty? No, I was sitting there for. I was in the jury selection though. It took forever. Oh, you actually had to do that part. Yeah. Oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah, that shit sucks. Yeah, it does you? suck. Hold up your number if you meet any of these criteria. Mm -hmm. Yeah, last time I had jury duty, um, the. Uh, judge knew our uncle dan and he was like you are you related to dan and i was like yep yeah. he's like oh the gentleman farmer 
like <laughs> liked him a lot and and I was like cool I'm going to get out of here and then the arresting officer I went to high school with and I was like yeah went to high school with him like all right you're on the jury I'm like God damn it. <laughs> but I lost my spot here. Oh, sorry. Jeez. That's all right. I did the old uh, interjecting, breaking it up, breaking up the stop process. Well, you need to stop taking your penis out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really yeah. distracting. Yeah, very distracting. Yeah, how the could, whole the whole thing can be that small. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh. <laughs> over the line <laughs> just derailed this son yeah, of a bitch did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but the, the the chaos stuff that didn't make sense to me so far from what you're kind of talking about is like I do understand the potential need to have information going on, like, you know, radicalized people that may be influenced by foreign, foreign radicals. So like, I I see that, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it seems like with the chaos, what, what they ended up doing was just kind of like continuing to circle the wagons where it was like, Mm -hmm. they knew that. And then in like program one or whatever they called it, they did, it was originally for the overseas stuff, and then they're like, okay, well, this is, you know, not really fruitful, so now we're going to do program two where we're going to actually turn it around and do stuff here. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then um, this is kind of a little um, breakdown of uh, Director Helms in 68 um, in response to the – President's continued concern about the student revolutionary movements around the world commissioned the preparation of a new analytic paper, which was eventually entitled Restless Youth. Sounds like a band band name. Totally. Um, Like its predecessor, Restless Youth concluded that the motivations underlying the student radicalism arose from social and political alienation at home and not from conspiratorial activities masterminded from abroad. So that was like, I think that was their second or third um, breakdown of the program. So they knew that it was not being manipulated by overseas. Mm -hmm. It was just happening here. It was dissidents happening here, Mm -hmm. but yet they continued to run. That's the problem that I got with it is that Instead of just doing what you're supposed to do, and that's turn over that information to the Bureau and then let them sort out if there's any type of federal crime, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. like with espionage or, you know, whatever. Yep. It's like the agency has to keep doing their thing, and that's where it starts getting shady. Yep, yep. And so what I kind of looked at in there is like, okay, so they know that for the third time they they didn't find any yeah, foreign nothing nothing to see stuff, here but it's all like students at universities mm-hmm. where all this crazy shit is being taught to the students like yeah and they're the ones creating these movements like well there's like the big fucking elephant in the room why aren't you looking at the universities yeah why these students are 
getting all crazy. And there was like, I can't remember which, maybe it was Russia and during the Cold War, so the for, late 40s, early 50s, mm-hmm. when the Cold War kind of started. Mm-hmm. They were like, we can take over your country without firing a shot. We'll just infiltrate the the university system. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what they did. They yeah, were doing the, the, it. The long game, like that, that one dude, the interview with that Russian dude. Did you yeah. Yeah. Yuri, or is his name Yuri? Yeah, the one that he came in like the eighties and yeah. he spoke at uh-huh. UCLA for yeah. like an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's scary. Just basically when you watch saying, that. yeah, yeah, he worked for the long game. Yeah, he worked he for the going. KGB yeah. and then defected and went to Canada, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, in '68, they knew that there was nothing going on, you know, with overseas influence, but they kept going until I think '73 is when they finally officially closed it down yeah and that was coming up on the because there was a congressional inquiry Mm -hmm. into what was going on and that's what exposed it and that's what shut everything down and that's when the church committee Mm -hmm. got going in 75 or whatever yeah Yeah. and then they found all the evidence that there was a lot of uh, over the line (laughs) stuff going on with the agency you know yeah i mean this this paper has a lot of really good stuff in it but it it's really kind of uh just repeats a lot of things because it's, yeah they're doing this they know that you know their um investigations aren't fruitful so they start it over again yeah and then same thing so i don't know if you wanted want me to keep going on this or if you want to move into that stuff um uh yeah so i guess i can just kind of interject here a little bit on the um the kind of the connections or bridging what we were talking about uh, last week where we went talked specifically about the laurel canyon music scene and kind of how that bridged from mk ultra and the mind control and when you look at this paper across the board it's obvious that operation chaos was you know a program to find out one whether there was foreign influence Mm -hmm. on domestic um, dissidence that was happening and then at the same time in 67 you had COINTELPRO firing up which was the FBI's version of chaos Mm -hmm. to figure out and dismantle they figure out who the dissidents were and then discredit them, dismantle them, and completely, you know, disrupt the, these organizations. So, if you look at the left hand and the right hand chaos and COINTELPRO going on at the same time, to me, <clears throat> it's pretty obvious that they're working together. Mm-hmm. One's supposed to not be working in the United States. One is mm-hmm. legitimately working in the United States, <clears throat> but then it starts to kind of cross this barrier where you have um, known dissidents mm-hmm. that are from within the United States, yep. no foreign influence, mm-hmm. and the agency continues to spin around and, and spin things up. And then at the same time that this, the, both of these programs, so you have Chaos, COINTELPRO going on, and then you have MKUltra also still going on mm-hmm. with the mind control. So this is where I went mentally with this when I was thinking about all this is 
You have MK Ultra, which started out in early 50s and ran until early 70s when it was allegedly shut down, right? And it was all about controlling the human mind, about creating false memories, about, you know, mm-hmm. making a Manchurian candidate hypnosis. Oh, real quick, I just wanted to mention that one of our listeners, um, John, reached out to me and he was able to dig up. Uh, what SINH stood for when we were talking about Operation Bluebird, and it actually stood for sleep induction and hypnosis. So we were pretty close, but thanks to John on that for yeah. uh, pushing it across the uh, finish line. Yeah. So you have um, MK Ultra experiments that are going on that are using these techniques, trying to find a way to control people or to meet somebody in, in a very short amount of time, be able to get them to do your will, and then at the same time, you've kind of got the portions of gateway experience coming out of MK Ultra, where they're trying to get remote viewing and using the astral projection for spying and blah, blah, blah. So you have all these things going on. What never made sense to me was the Tate LaBianca murders and the, um, and the uh, so yeah, Tate LaBianca murders with Manson. I've always been fascinated by that that type of stuff, but that never made sense to me. It's like, why did this hippie dude pick those random people and then send his, you know, acid-washed, you know, like, bitches to do his work? Like, mm-hmm. it didn't, to go kill them. Like, that never made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they convicted the family, they convicted him, and... They just kind of forgot about it. And then you had a guy like Tom O'Neill that just keep kept digging and digging and digging and then finally found a connection between Manson and chaos, you know, Manson and the CIA. And that still, I was still after reading his book, I was like, yeah, but why did he go and kill Sharon Tate? Like, it makes no sense. Like, yeah, Terry Melcher used to live at that house. He had a beef with Melcher because Melcher wouldn't put him on the label right Mm -hmm. because melcher was like the beach boys producer and shit like that but that still doesn't make sense to me he knew that tate didn't live there Mm -hmm. so why did he go there and kill him well they did it because you know wanted to start the race war and this and that and i'm like start the race war like you know like you're gonna you're gonna start the race war by killing five people in a house in the hollywood hills that are just random and one of them is a movie star and then one's a connected person to the Folgers, uh, you know, dynasty, the coffee dynasty, which is crappy coffee, by the way. (laughs) And, you know, and then the next night, uh, some random grocer and his wife, like Mm -hmm. makes no sense. So then when I came across this with the COINTELPRO and the chaos stuff, I was like, now it's starting to make sense. So in my mind, this is where it kind of ties it all together is that you have chaos and COINTELPRO that are working on one, chaos identifying the foreign influence, if there is a foreign influence on uh, domestic dissidents, and then two, COINTELPRO finding the, the domestic dissidents and then rooting them out and discrediting them. And specifically in this one, Helms is talking about race. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> so specifically they were very wrapped around the axle about the black Panther black Panther movement. And they were wrapped around the Martin Luther King 
Jr. because he had just been assassinated, what, in 68? 68, I think. I think so. I believe it was 68. Don't hold me to that. But, uh, you know, and that whole, you know, racial equality movement, um, COINTELPRO was wiretapping, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. and all of these civil rights mm-hmm. activists. So now it's starting to make sense to me why Sharon Tate and the people at Cielo Drive got killed. And it's a little known fact people don't realize is that Sharon Tate and um, uh, Roman Polanski, um, Abigail Folger, these people were all part of the White Panther movement. So, and O'Neill talks about the White Panther movement in his book, but there were other people like in the liberal Hollywood movement, um, Jane Fonda, um, there was, let's see here, uh, Cass Elliott, Warren Beatty, Abigail Folger, Sharon Tate, all of these people were under surveillance by the Bureau for their connections to the White Panther movement, which was a leftist white version and a um, sympathizing organization to the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. So I personally, and I know this is going to get, I was just going to read a, a clip from um, Chaos real quick. Uh, this is in in the, the Tom O'Neill book, Chaos, but he, it, it stood out to me when I first read it, then I forgot about it. And as I was thinking about reading, when I was reading this paper, I was like, okay, I remember somewhere that Sharon Tate was involved in some leftist radical um, group, political group in Hollywood. I've got to find that. So I ended up finding it. So this is, um, I don't remember what, what chapter this is, but it says, when Hoover reconstituted COINTELPRO, he was already worried that America's black militants would be embraced by liberal whites, especially in the left-leaning place like Hollywood. In August 1967 memo uh, reanimating the counterintelligence program, he noted the importance of preventing, quote, preventing militant black nationalist groups and leaders from gaining respectability, unquote. They must be discredited to the white community, both responsible communities and the liberals who have the vestiges, is that the right vestige? Mm who have vestiges of sympathy for militant black nationalists simply because they were Negroes. Two years later, the Panthers had become almost synonymous with Hollywood's liberal elite. Actresses such as Jane Fonda and Jean Seberg appeared at their rallies. Hoover felt he needed to widen the chasm between blacks and whites in Los Angeles. In a November 1968 memo, an L.A. field agent discussed new efforts to spread disinformation to Hollywood's liberal whites. In the context of the Tate-LaBianca murders, the memo is chilling. Remember, the Tate house by then had become a high-profile gathering place for Hollywood liberals, among others for Fonda, Cass Elliott, and Warren Beatty, all three of whom were under FBI surveillance. Abigail Folger would die at the hands of the family, was an outspoken civil rights activist. That year, she campaigned for Tom Bradley, the first African-American candidate for mayor of Los Angeles. Many in the Polanski-Tate crowd belonged to the White Panther Party, explicit uh, allies of the Black Panthers, or to the Peace and Freedom Party of California, which also voiced its support. 
the FBI, according to the memo, planned to generate distrust through disinformation. And then they kind of go on and talk about how it says um, the FBI would make it seem as if sympathetic leftists were the Panthers cross were in the Panther Panthers crosshairs. Uh, less than a year after his memo was written, Manson's followers lined up for um, Dennis's Dennison's of liberal Holly. Hollywood in Roman Polanski's home and cut them to pieces, leaving slogans in blood to implicate the Black Panthers. So now it's starting to make sense to me why that group of people were killed. I don't think it was a random accident, and I know I'm going to piss people off when I say this. I don't think that Manson had anything to do with it. and I don't think his followers had anything to do with it either. I think that Manson was the vehicle for the agency to practice all of the hypnosis and the uh, cult leader mind control. You know, they were providing that dude. I mean, O'Neill talks about it in depth mm -hmm. about how, you know, Manson was being provided with all these drugs, which he was providing to his people. He was never even really known to take acid. He would just dose everybody else, just like Frank Zappa. Mm -hmm. So I think the whole thing was all happening at the same time. You had chaos and COINTELPRO going, right, to discredit and, and break apart these groups. And then you had uh, MKUltra going on with the mind control, and they were really trying to take the hippie movement out as well, which was the, quote, dissident mm -hmm. movement in the American uh, at the time. So how do you do that? By creating this tribe of maniac killers that are a mm -hmm. bunch of look, you know, random looking hippies mm -hmm. and turn them into, you know, complete savages mm -hmm. that stab people 16 times to death, right? Yeah. I don't think that they did it. I yeah. think that they, I think that that was part of that whole mind control and that, implanted the memory yep, the memory and, yep. i think that that was part of the program was to see if it would work hmm. you sent me that video of danny trejo yeah that was pretty crazy because that kind of goes right in line with what you're talking about with manson because um, he did he was in jail county jail right yeah he was in county jail with manson and he was in the cell with danny trejo and two other guys or was it just one other two other guys he said that they had f six in their cell i think and he said that um manson would hypnotize them so that they felt like they were either on weed or on heroin and they would just all of a sudden just be completely fucked up and no drugs were there yeah mm -hmm. and there's one dude that didn't had never done heroin that it didn't work on because his brain didn't know what heroin, like a heroin high was like. But he was, uh, Danny Trejo said that he threw up and like his eyes got all red. Like he said they did him when, whenever he took heroin. Yeah. And it was like, whoa, yeah. that's the power suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy when I read that. I was like, you've got to be kidding me, dude. Like, or watched that, I was like, th that's exactly what that dude was doing. And, and he was in a prime spot because he had been institutionalized through all these different institutions his whole life. And, you know, working with guys like 
Jolly West that were doing that to him, he absolutely would have had picked up on those techniques. And I think that the part of it, like with the Reeve Whitson connection, um, I think that that was like that agency, you know, chaos handler that was kind of like getting him what he needed and then also like helping control, you know, the, the, the puppet strings of the whole scenario. Mm-hmm. And keeping him out of jail yeah. when he was breaking parole and all that shit. Yeah, and that's the wild thing is like I keep going back to like what we talked about last week where it was like Sharon Tate, you know, when she gets killed the next day. So this is August 8th or 9th of 69. The next day her dad turns in his papers at the military, the army, and quits. And then vows to infiltrate the hippie hippie movement to try to find out who, who her killers were. And I'm like, dude, the Manson family wasn't even suspected of the murders or it wasn't even broke that they were the murderers of the of the Tate and LaBianca killings until like December of 69. So there's like three months. Mm-hmm. So what did he know Yeah. as a, as an intelligence Colonel, he knew something mm-hmm. for sure, because that's just a weird, Oh, shot in the dark. It was the hippies, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but this is going to sound totally batshit crazy, but that's why we're here. So I'm going to put this <laughs> out there. I think that the, at minimum, the Tate murders were done by the Zodiac. Mm. I think they were done by the Zodiac killer. And one of the reasons why I say that is because the knife, the um, you know the the savage killings, the the knots uh, with the the ropes and stuff like that. At the Lake Berryessa murder, which was in '69, I think it was in, or '68, July. July 68, somewhere around there, or it could have been July 69. The Zodiac killer comes up to these this couple on Lake Berryessa, which is North California, north of the Bay Area, north of Vallejo, or northwest of Vallejo, and comes up on him. He's wearing like full regalia of a you know an executioner's type of outfit, and he's got a gun, and he holds him at gunpoint, and then he ties them both up, and then he stabs them in the back. And he goes basically ballistic and kills the chick, but he leaves the dude alive, didn't didn't kill the dude. So just like the the knot tying and stuff like that, and then in the Manson or in the um, Tate Manson murders or whatever, those people in the Cielo Drive were all tied up as well. So that's ironic that they're both which yeah, I understand that if you're gonna kill somebody it's easier to tie them up and then kill them. So mm-hmm. I get that. Um, but the thing that's really odd about the Manson murder or the, the LaBianca, the Tate murders, sorry, is that they found a pair of glasses, horn rimmed, like brown glasses with plastic lenses on the fireplace mantle in Sharon Tate's house. None of the victims were glasses. And three months later, what, August, October, November, December, four months later, um, when they arrested the Manson family, none of thems wear glasses. Mm -hmm. So who wore glasses? Who had glasses there? They're the same type of glasses that the Zodiac Killer wears, which were the BCGs, the birth control glasses that the military, (laughs) that's what they call them, the the military would issue these plastic frame (laughs) glasses. like athletic glasses that were kind of like indestructible, but they looked like 
the big blocks on people's faces. That's what was the type of pair that was left there at the scene. So Vincent Bugliosi, who was the prosecutor, knew about the glasses and was hoping during the trial that it wasn't going to come up because that's a good defense argument. Well, like you're telling me that these guys all did it, but somebody else was there because there was glasses there that nobody in the victims and the killers wore. So there's an outstanding killer, right? Mm -hmm. So three days before they were going to have um, this person testify, it was the person who had prescribed this particular pair of glasses. It was a doctor out of uh, Santa Cruz, Northern California area. This dude and his wife and everybody in his family got murdered. Mm. Wow. In their mansion. Weird. And the house was caught on fire. They found all of their bodies in the pool. They'd all been killed. They were all floating in the pool. The house had been burned. The two entrances to the mansion were, it was a, uh, like a Frank Lloyd Wright uh, inspired house. It was like one of his um, protégés you know architects big rich house cash chuckers um <laughs> they cut it into the side of this hill overlooking the monterey i think it was monterey bay and so the two entrances of the driveways had both been blocked by two car by the victim's cars from the house so when firefighters were responding they couldn't actually get to the house to start putting out the fire so that it would burn longer ironically enough just before uh, the murders happened or they were found dead earlier that day a neighbor had saw or had seen the female victim the wife of the doctor driving in her station wagon with three hippies in the car three long-haired hessians and the neighbor knew her and was like oh that's weird she doesn't have kids that are that old that's really strange saw two males and one female and they all had long hair she said that she saw one dude with a mustache. And then that night they're all found dead. Well, her car gets found in a railroad tunnel several miles away, seats on fire, car sitting in the railroad tunnel. And then the railroad, the train was coming through and had to stop so it wouldn't plow this thing over. There's pictures of it on the internet. And uh, nobody knows who killed these people. But ironically, he was going to be testifying in the Manson trial. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. And so the Zodiac killings were happening, happening 68, 69 at the same time over the same summer. I think Paul Stein was killed. I'd have to Google it, but I think Paul Stein was killed somewhere in uh, summer of 69, I believe. Let me just check real fast. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Paul Stein, taxi cab driver. Oh, October eleventh, nineteen sixty nine is where he is when he died. So this would be two months after the Manson killings. And all of the Zodiac all of the Zodiac sightings all describe a clean cut military looking dude that was you know, five eight to six foot, that wore black or rimmed, horn rimmed glasses, the BCGs, and he wore wing walker boots. So wing walkers were, like they said in their investigation during the Zodiac, 
were pretty much standard issue in the Air Force. Mm. What do you have at Lookout Mountain? An Air Force base. What do you have connections to all of Laurel Canyon? The Air Force intelligence com- community. Okay. So I think that the Zodiac killer was a military dude, and I think that he was being primed as a Manchurian candidate to go around and, and commit these murders and stuff, and I don't even think he was the one writing the letters. And I don't think Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac killer. There's connections to between Reeve Whitson and a dude named Robert Linkletter, and uh, Robert Linkletter was a son of... Bitch. Yes, son <laughs> of a bitch. He was a uh, uh, related to a dude named Art Linkletter, which was Art was a Holly. He was a some Hollywood bigwig or something like that. Related to that Richard Linkletter, the director guy too. Uh, I don't know. Probably. I mean, that's a pretty unique name. And Richard Linkletter was also in the Hollywood community, right? So I would probably it's probably safe to say but um yeah there was connections people knew in the hollywood community knew richard linkletter and reeve whitson knew each other in fact they had worked on some i found some forum on zodiac killer hoax uh, website where they talk about how reeve whitson and richard linkletter or richard linkletter, thanks dude <laughs> robert linkletter were um they had invented the uh, safety cap for yeah, bottles yeah. of, of mm-hmm. medication. Yeah. 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 Hmm. yeah. And he dies in a freak uh, head on car collision somewhere down in Woodland Hills, California. That's crazy. Yeah. But there's a website out there where they think that uh, Richard Linklitter was the Zodiac. No, Robert, you mean. Robert, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that guy, the one you said. so anyway that was a long dissertation but to me that's the connections between chaos cointel pro and the and the tate la bianca murders i think that it was a i think that you had three layers of of a program going on at the same time and it was all designed to create this race war Mm -hmm. possibly but that was through that um um international white Oh, what was that called? I said it last week. Oh, yeah. The uh, white nationalist thing. Yeah. Oh, the International White Guard. Yeah. So Richard or Robert Linkletter was a member of that or known to be a member of that. So. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of mind-blowing, really. I don't know, man. I don't think. I think that the Zodiac is the one that killed all the people. Mm-hmm. And then in uh, that book, Chaos, when they're talking about that girl that got killed from the parking lot of the bar, um, I think that was not too far from that Air Force base, if I remember right. Yeah, well, it seems like pretty much everything related to or around surrounding the Zodiac, that there was a Air Force base or a Navy intel base like right there, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And like I said before... Um, I think that he was obvious. I, I personally believe that it was a person that was involved in the MK experiments because Michael Aquino 
was working with the PSYOPs program out of the Presidio. So we know the Presidio definitely had some connections, military connections at the time to uh, MK Ultra. And right after Paul Stein, the cabbie that got murdered uh, down off of like whatever it was, Washington and Cherry in, uh, in San Francisco, he was last seen walking north and uh, a couple motorcycle cops had rolled by him and asked him if he'd seen anybody. He said, pointed him in a different direction. And they said that they saw him which I believe they was on Jackson Street. He was like one street away from the Presidio. The, you know, I mean, that's the direction he was going, man. Mm-hmm. You know? Heading home. Heading home. And then you had the right at the north side of the Presidio is the Golden Gate Bridge, which goes right over to Vallejo and um, Lake Berryessa and all that stuff over there. So, I mean, it's just a one-stop shop. You got Skaggs Island Naval um, over there, and then there's another little air force base i forgot what it's called um i think it's hamilton field yeah in nevada so i mean it's like literally right on that little uh inlet in between vallejo and um the golden gate bridge wow so to me there's just too many connections there yeah and with those glasses being at the uh, Tate House, right? Yeah, in the Tate House. It makes yeah. no sense, too. Yeah. And, in fact, one of the investigators was, there's a picture of the investigator holding them up. That's wild. And, and he had <coughs> said, uh, one of the detectives had said that they thought that they had gotten there because they had gotten in a fight with, somebody had gotten in a fight with the victims, and then they fell off. But it doesn't make sense that they were folded up and set on the, it was either on like one of the beams because they had like these low beams inside the house that I think Sharon Tate was ended up being hung hung from with a telephone cord or something like that. Um, so it was either on the beam or it was on the fireplace mantle, but it was like right there. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I don't know, man. Didn't uh, Manson end up saying that they, him and somebody else went back to the house and left those there or something like that in chaos they talk about how they how they there was a theory how they got there but i don't remember if manson ever claimed that he went back to the house i think that that was theorized that he had gone back like um one of the girls i think said that charlie went back later that night with tex and kind of like staged Mm. some stuff but there was a witness, a audible witness in the, it's in the Hollywood Hills. You've got like the houses are kind of just like stacked on top of each other, mm-hmm. like on the side of a hillside. And one of the, one of the uh, witnesses or audio witnesses had said that they heard at like three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, two gunshots. So this was several hours after they had been killed because they were killed somewhere around midnight. And so they had heard gunshots and then they had heard men's voices in the canyon and moving around. And then somebody said that they saw lights on in the Tate house and somebody was moving things around in there. So the theory was in Tom's book, he talks about uh, Reeve Whitson went back over there. And I think he mentioned potentially with Charlie, but to be honest, I don't. I don't know if Charlie ever went there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I, I think that he was honestly just a he was just like Oswald, man. He was just a patsy. Mm-hmm. He was a guy that had been in the system forever. They knew, you know, they knew that they were gonna feed him to the wolves at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, who's gonna believe that dude? Yeah, exactly. He'd been in jails all life. <laughs> you just sent me home, <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Andy. <laughs> anyway, do you have anything else on that chaos, Jim? I don't think so. Yeah. Nothing, nothing that will add to, you know, what we already talked about. Yeah, it was just a really shady program that they were running, and yeah. it seemed like they were, you know, they were inserting these people into the counterculture, and then stuff started happening, and then they had to investigate that, mm-hmm. and it's like. Problem, they, they problem, know, problem, reaction, yeah. solution, dude. They know what happened, so obviously they're not going to find anything if it's one of their assets that started the shit. And yeah. I think that they originally started the whole hippie scene or the Laurel Canyon scene was not to control that entire generation per se, but I think that it was more about they had the New York scene that was kind of going forward, what they call those guys, the the beatnik mm-hmm. the beatnik kind of happening over there and i think that they knew that <laughs> um poetry slam yeah <laughs> poetry slam thou art <laughs> romeo hey. where art thou you um so i think that they knew that that was go- that was going to be what's happening and i think that they knew that that was that was obviously going to that was being connected to the political dissident movement in the universities and stuff because that was kind of happening on the east coast in those universities so i think that the laurel canyon scene was more of like a our program to get into that program Mm -hmm. type of thing yeah and then uh from there i think that it you know just kept going like you said you had chaos cointel pro and then the mk all going on at the same time Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of weird connections, too, with all these serial killers. Well, not all of them, but a couple of the serial killers. And, like, uh, Richard DeSalvo, the Boston Strangler, mm. he lived in an apartment, like, right across the way from where Bob Dylan was originally living. And then who was that? Or some uh, beatnik hippie chick that was early on in the movement with Bob Dylan can't remember who it was female artist but anyway they were both bob dylan and this female were living in the same apartment building Joni mitchell Joni mitchell that's the one uh, how did you dude you read my mind that was mk ultra right there she sucks yeah but they lived in an apartment uh complex in the same one that was across the street from harvard or nearby harvard or somewhere in uh, cambridge and DeSalvo lived in the same building or the building right across the street. Hmm. And there's a lot of <clears throat> connections to, you know, <laughs> to several of the serial killers in the military, like uh, BTK. He was Air Force. Yeah. And so it's like. Yeah. And Son of Sam still. was an Army guy. And yep. Yep. That's right. And then. <clears throat> um, what was the other guy? Richard Ramirez. Like, his uncle was military and killed some chick right in front of him. And Oh, and did that, was that in Texas? 
I think like, I did, think so. Like El Paso or something. Yeah. 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 Definitely some weird, weird. Definitely some weird connections there. So, um, but I don't know. I, I'm sure not everybody knew about the White Panther connection, and to me, that that's what made most sense. To mm-hmm. you know that I'd never heard of it until today. Yeah. So. So you had that. You know, they were all part of that, and. Um, Jane Fonda was a really big political activist back in the in the sixties. Very anti-war, um, a lot of that stuff going on, and all these people were all hanging out together. And that was a thing that Tom brought up in the book. He's like, the bureau was in, doing surveillance on all these people, and then the night that five of them get murdered, like they don't, they didn't have nobody saw nothing. Mm-hmm. Come on, check that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and then also the connection with. Uh, Roman Polanski being a foreign, a foreigner, his parents had been in uh, the uh, Holocaust. His mm-hmm. grandparents or his parents, one of the two, were, you know, victims of the Holocaust. He was a young boy when it had happened and migrated over from Poland. And so, yeah, you got that connection where it's like, and then he was doing a bunch of films in Italy and over in the UK. In fact, that's how him and uh, Sharon met was on a film set over like the devil's eye or something like that over in the UK. And they were constantly going back and forth to the UK. So you probably had the agency and the co-intel pro guys were probably just like spun out of their minds. Like, ah, they're all, they're all communists, (laughs) you know, (laughs) the commies. (laughs) And then, uh, I think that they just used the the Manson crew, feeding them acid every day, making them mm. think all these things, and that was a, just a. I bet you they weren't even there, dude. Yeah, with that story about him hypnotizing those guys, Robert Trejo, dude, yeah. like in jail, yeah, making them like feel the effects of heroin and weed, and mm-hmm. there was nothing there. Yeah, it makes you wonder if you know early on he <clears throat> fed all these people acid to you know, get their brain to know what that is and then didn't have acid after that. Yeah. It was just, yeah. Just using that. Mm-hmm. Cause they talked about how he would, um, he would, uh, reenact the crucifixion and mm-hmm. stuff while they were on acid. It's crazy, crazy stuff. So anyway, remember that time you guys came in here without clothes on, <laughs> you remember, <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> You guys just walked in yeah. here, but <laughs> Luke's getting naked. Yeah. Anyway, well, I thought that was a damn good episode. It was good. As yeah. the uh, Hodge twins say. Oh, damn good That episode. was a damn fine episode. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, next week we'll talk about maybe some more serial killer stuff. Maybe we should get a little bit more in-depth in some of the actual murders. Murder. And then Ramsey's on 21st. 21st. Yep. Going to talk about mm-hmm. the occult numbers and some other stuff. Yeah. So hopefully that'll be good. Hopefully we'll be able to rise to the occasion. Rise above. We're going to rise above. Uh. <laughs> little black flag. All right. Well, that was not the good black flag, though. Yeah, that was Henry Rollins. Yeah. Keith. Keith Morris was better, but yeah. sometimes you just bands go to shit. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> All right, guys, we will catch you next week. Be cool. 
Snyder. Day out of school because it's summer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>